With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. On this special episode, we hear about the concerning link between loot boxes and problem gambling with academic David Zendel. We discuss the attempts to regulate them in the UK, whether the new Ultimate Team preview packs are still loot boxes, and the impact they may have on the players, the game, and EA. I'm your host, Ben, and you're listening to the Foot Weekly Podcast, out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and made possible by the podcast community of supporters. Let's get into it. I'm delighted to be joined by academic and lecturer at the University of York, Dr. David Zendel. Welcome to the pod. Hello, it's nice to be here again. Thanks for having me. Is there a doctor on the podcast? Yes, there is. <laughs> not like a useful kind of doctor, though. Not, <laughs> yeah. not, not a doctor that could save your life if you were dying, unless, unless you are dying of loot boxes. Well, yeah, and I said that like it would be a novelty, but we've actually had It's James on quite a few times, who is actually a content creator and doctor, although not a doctor anymore, just a content creator. But there we go. Anyway, let's get into what we're talking about on this podcast. We will talk preview packs, but we wanted to start by setting the scene, if you like, talking about loot boxes and... You did come on before two years ago, talk to us about loot box legislation and research and the link you found between problem gambling and loot boxes. So we will start there to refresh people's minds and for those who haven't listened to that last podcast. But since then, David, how have things been? It's been a really interesting couple of years for debates about what the hell we do about loot boxes. And I've been relatively fortunate in that I did some of the early work on it uh, then sort of built on that in interesting ways, which means that when policymakers in the UK or or indeed in other places want someone to talk to about loot boxes, it tends to be me. Yeah, so nice. it's been, it's, yeah, it's been exciting. Yeah, we'll definitely talk more about that. But let's start from the start, as I said, with what are loot boxes and can EA really claim that packs aren't loot boxes? And no, of course they can't. <laughs> like, like it's ridiculous uh, the really interesting question i think the thing that we'll we'll get to today the thing that's much more interesting is can you claim a fifa uh, preview pack is a loot box or not right yeah yeah exactly so loot boxes it's this generic term that sort of sprung into usage and which we've kept for these randomized reward mechanisms in games that are attached to some kind of monetary payment 
So in its broadest sense, and kind of the sense that policymakers and regulators use, a loot box is anything in a game where you are able to put real money in one side and then you get something else out the other side, but its value is uncertain in some way. Mm-hmm. And under that framework, yeah, of course, a FIFA uh, player pack is a, is a loot box. Yeah, so we can move on from that. And as I asked back then, I should ask again, what is problem gambling for those who don't know what that is? It has what has a bunch of different names. So it used to be called pathological gambling, problematic gambling, gambling problems, disordered gambling, gambling disorder, or problem gambling. All these things roughly map to the same thing, uh, which is this pattern of excessive and typically uncontrollable gambling behavior that causes serious issues for an individual and those around them. So a pattern of gambling behavior that is so extreme in some way that it can uh, lead to, you know, serious financial distress, uh, bankruptcy, depression, and increasingly uh, we're going to appreciate suicide. Mm. This is something that happens to a small proportion of gamblers. Loads of people have a very, very normal relationship with gambling uh, that does not cause them problems in their their wide world. I occasionally gamble. I imagine many of your listeners occasionally gamble. But for a proportion of, of gamblers, things don't work like that. And the real fear with loot boxes is... One of two things, either that engagement with them in some way contributes to increased levels of gambling problems in the population, or that in some way that they're so similar to gambling that they can cause similar patterns of expenditure to problem gambling, and hence, in and of themselves, they can be problematic. Right, and I suppose what some people might say is, well, it affects a minority of people. It's not like gambling where you lose everything, you do get at least something back. So perhaps it's almost a slightly healthier alternative for those with uh, problem gambling issues, which in some ways, maybe that's not completely ridiculous, but it is very cynical. And I suppose the point being, certainly in the UK and in many countries in the world, For people who may not be able to fully comprehend the risks or there's a bigger risk to them, we tend to try and protect those people through legislation and awareness as well. Right. And um, depending on where you live, there might be more or less restrictions on the basis of the kind of products you can have access to either as a person or as a young person. So like in the UK, for example, there's recognition that some products are special in terms of risk, right? And Mm. so you're not allowed to market them to specific audiences. So like slot machines and kids, for instance, you can't do that. But there's also things that say, if you are building a specific product that has specific risks associated with it, there's softer legislation associated with that as well to do with the kind of things you can build and how they are checked over. So like gambling machines, for example, have to pass a bunch of tests in order to go onto the market. And then, yeah, you're an adult, you can access them all you like, but you know that they've been assured to certain safety standards. And that's the same case as for uh, like medicines and things like that. You have to go through a bunch of tests before you release uh, some sort of investigational medical product onto the market. And that's because they're regulated separately. So regulation doesn't just have to be about restricting access. It could also be to do with additional scrutiny for quality oversight and things like that. And when when people talk about kind of regulating loot boxes in some way, I think a knee jerk is to say that means you're going to ban them. 
And yeah, that's one of the options on the table. I think there are people out there who would want to ban them. But I think there are also a bunch of other things that I think governments and policymakers would be potentially interested in to do with assuring the fairness of algorithms or to do with data scrutiny. Yeah. And of course, talking of scrutinizing data, it'd be good to get sort of a starting summary of that publication, which drew this connection between problem gambling and loot boxes. Sure. We found this correlation, right? Where if you go and survey a bunch of people and you say how much you've been spending on loot boxes, and then you take some sort of standardized measure of gambling problems, those two things tend to go together, right? So the more money you're spending on loot boxes, the more severe your gambling problems tend to be. And sort of labs from around the world went out and ran analogous studies where they tried to measure this thing again and again and again. And like basically whenever you measure it, there's something like 12, 13 studies now that have measured these two things. And if you measure how much money you're spending on loot boxes and you measure gambling problems, those two things go together. They correlate. The more money you spend on loot boxes, the more severe your gambling problems. And other stuff doesn't go together, right? So like if you try and measure like microtransactions that are loot boxes and gambling problems, like those two things don't correlate so strongly or don't correlate at all. Right. And then the other thing, of course, to bring up is the one that many people will mention around this if they're arguing against the regulation of loot boxes maybe or that they're not bad is that we have never regulated collectible physical card games like match attacks like Yu-Gi-Oh, for example what would you say to that yeah so if you try the same thing but you're measuring how much you're spending on on physical ccgs collectible card games and your gambling problems you get nothing again so like it seems like there's this specific correlation between spending on loot boxes and gambling problems that isn't explained just by say people having more money to spend and therefore they spend more money on gambling and they spend more money on a load of things it seems to be specifically to do with with loot boxes and gambling problems and it seems like the people who are spending money on loot boxes from the crude understanding that we have now aren't necessarily incredibly wealthy individuals people have done secondary analyses of the data that have been collected through all these surveys and said like in general does an individual's income correlate with how much they're spending on loot boxes? And there doesn't seem to be any any strong relationship there. It seems like, yes, yeah, some very wealthy people spend lots of money on loot boxes, but also some very wealthy people don't spend any money on loot boxes. And some people who are not so wealthy spend lots of money on loot boxes. And, you know, it's there's no, there's no direct link there. Um, so it seems like we have a bunch of people who may or may not have tons of cash to throw around spending significant chunks of money on loot boxes and that the more likely you are to spend money the more severe your gambling problems tend to be what we don't know is what the hell the social cost of all that is like so it's really unclear what the consequences of this are there's this one theory that loot boxes are kind of like this gateway to gambling so like loot boxes look a lot like gambling so you engage with the loot box you spend 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 you get some sort of physiological hit some sort of cognitive mechanism shifts and then you go out into the real world outside the loot box and you see a slot machine or you go into your browser and you see a slot machine and because of the formal similarities between that and the loot box your previous experiences with the loot box cause you to then go on and gamble so it's like a gateway and if that kind of gateway was in operation, you'd expect to see this kind of correlation, right? So loot box spending is linked to gambling problems because it's causing it. But like, there's also other really plausible explanations for this correlation as well. 
you might have pre-existing problems with gambling, right? You're already a heavy gambler for some reason. It might be impulsivity. It might be any reason that's causing you to be a heavy gambler. And you go home and you open up your favorite game and it's got a loot box in it. And that's so similar to gambling that whatever's causing you to be uh, have this excessive problematic relationship with gambling also causes you to spend more money on the loot boxes. And the current open question in academia is which of those pathways is in operation? And nobody knows. And, and until you know which one's in operation, it's really hard to quantify what loot boxes are doing. Yeah, and actually one thing that I was going to ask, which I'm sure will be tricky to answer, are there any similarities in specific behaviours that you know of from both problem loot box use, if we might call it that, and problem gambling people may have seen in themselves or others perhaps? So we don't know about the full range of behaviours around loot box spending in like a rigorous way that you can present to a select committee. We have got some really interesting data on it. People seem to replicate patterns that you see in a gambling domain around loot boxes. So like loss chasing is the key thing. So like loss chasing is like the most important construct when it comes to behavior surrounding gambling and behavior surrounding gambling that is disordered and not so good for you. It's the idea that um, you go in, you place a gamble, you lose in some way, and that leads to persistence, right? So like losing money causes persistence or increasing stakes in order to win back your loss. So you're chasing your losses. And this is like the hallmark of gambling behaviors. You don't see this. You don't see this in other domains. And in China, when you put a loot box onto the market, you technically come under lottery regulations, right? So so you're technically a purveyor of a lottery at this point, which means you have to disclose a subset of your openings. So some games have, have got this rolling disclosure of loot box openings over time. Uh, and if you sort of sat there for a year, which is what we did for the last year, and just read off the list of loot box openings as they came through, you'd be able to build up a picture of people opening loot boxes. In general, and we got like this massive data set of like 7 million openings of loot boxes in Chinese CSGO. And what you see is that after people open up a loot box, which is rubbish and has a low value content, something that's worth less than the cost of opening the box, they're more likely to then try and open more and more and more of it. It's, it's like loss chasing. You're trying to make up for the fact you just got something rubbish by hoping you get something better. So the big debate in regulation policy in academia is are these similarities enough to regulate this as gambling as a kind of primer or gateway for gambling and the way that industry including ea is not helping is by basically not sharing data so like at the moment we just don't know so you go to a policy briefs or something or you know all party parliamentary group or whatever it is you're talking to and they say do they harm people like gambling? Do they lead to gambling? And you just have to say, like, we know that there's the potential for this to occur, but we don't have enough data to say that it doesn't occur, right? It's like this gray area. It's just unbelievably frustrating because industry data sharing would really help to inform policy perspectives here. Well, definitely. And I mean, you think what you were saying before was, well, problem gambling might lead to problematic use of loot boxes and loot boxes may lead to problem gambling but we're not quite sure which way it goes but either way it's a concern because either you have companies you'd hope inadvertently taking advantage of problem gamblers and having them spend in their game or turning people into problem gamblers or causing them to go and problem gamble and 
have all the issues associated with that, right? So what you'd imagine at this point, once there's been enough research, which, uh, you know, you can debate that, of course, is that government would take steps. And that certainly happened in Belgium, where you can no longer buy FIFA points, for example. Loot boxes are fully banned. And in the Netherlands, it's true to an extent, although you need to be able to cash out. So it's very much a gambling thing. And therefore, loot boxes are not really considered gambling in the sense they are implemented in Ultimate Team. But in the UK, things started to happen around this. Around the time we spoke before, various elected officials cross-party were gathering academics and the companies themselves to give statements on this. And that led to these committees recommending the government do legislate around loot boxes. What actually happened there after that? The government sort of said, right, we're going to review what how we define gambling so so in 2005 we had this thing called the gambling act which defines what gambling is and isn't in the uk and in something called the queen's speech which is where you could kind of show what you're targeting in terms of your priorities for for change making in policy um in 2019 in the queen's speech they sort of said okay we're going to revise the gambling act we're going to come up with a new gambling act on the basis of Lots of things that are broken about how we defined gambling in 2005, you know, lots of mentions of gambling via fax, but not many mentions of gambling over the internet because it was written in 2005. Uh, and one of the things we're going to take into account here is loot boxes. So we're going to work out how to how to regulate these in the context of this gambling act review. Uh, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, who thus far have been scrutinized by a select committee and the select committee's made some recommendations um, now put out their own call for evidence, right? Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, we're going to go grab some evidence from somewhere and we're going to ask people to write in and tell us what they think about loot boxes. And we're going to also commission an independent systematic review of the literature to find out what's going on in academia uh, and what the current knowledge base is about loot boxes. And then after that, we'll know what to do about them. Mm-hmm. And then they got 30,000 responses to their loot box call for evidence, wow. uh, which like is more than the number of things that were submitted to the general call for evidence on the Gambling Act review as a whole. So loot boxes wow. <laughs> seem to have more interest than, than gambling. And then they just stopped. So like, you get questions asked about this in the house occasionally. So like a minister will ask a question and say like, so that loot box evidence call, Mm. what are you going to do? And they'll say, like, we received over 30,000 responses. And and that will be kind of the end of the discussion. So it's unclear what the timescales are here for the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. And it's unclear when this is going to take place. Yeah, yeah. They, They are committed to doing something, but when is a really hard question. Well, of course. And then you've got your big international corporation that can afford to come up with alternative solutions before the legislators and the academics can keep up. And that's sort of what we've seen with preview packs, of course. And we will talk about that in a second. One thing I wanted to ask, which is always a hot topic in the foot community, is the pay-to-win element. As someone who's across the industry, how do you feel about pay-to-win and specifically the fact that people can pack things from Ultimate Team packs that give them an advantage and improve their ability at the game itself. How does that relate to loot boxes and does that make the impacts worse or lessened perhaps? As such, I think think questions about when is pay to win okay and when is it not okay 
I think, fall into like kind of what's going to be the debate that the industry is going to be having for the next 10 years, which isn't going to be primarily about loot boxes. It's going to be about what does the design of a kind of responsible, sustainable, and acceptable virtual economy look like? So like, is there a way we can make it so you can inject cash into this game and get additional bonus in terms of your gameplay out of it whilst being accepted by players? And I'm sure that the answer to that is yes. I'm sure there are ways to do that. Mm. When it comes to loot boxes in specific, nobody has looked into this with much rigor, which is disappointing. I think I think I might have the only paper on it. Mm. I, I apologize if there are other papers on it. I think there might be one or two other papers now. And these papers aren't the level of quality that you'd want to see in 2021. They're stuff that we did in, you know, we did ours in like 2018. Well, yeah, no, I think one of the things that potentially this research but also legislation has got stuck on is whether it is gambling or not and saying well gambling is a concern and we know that gambling causes problems for people in terms of the problem gambling but why aren't we thinking of problem gaming problem loot boxes as concerns that could be leading to behavior akin to gambling even if that person doesn't end up gambling showing those behaviors feels like a concern in itself and actually sure particularly games played by young people where there are gambles involved with virtual currency that they haven't purchased with money that they've worked towards well surely that could be something that also starts to engage those pathways and leads people into problematic habits around essentially i'd say risk taking more broadly and i am really I know David going out on a whim here a bit, but the first thing to know is we don't know. Yeah. Like nobody can confidently tell you anything about what you just said. It's a really good question though, because it represents the world as it is now, and it represents quite an important facet of the world as it is now. And it seems plausible that there that there would be mm. an effect here. Sure, yeah, and I'm not saying you know, ban them. I'm saying this is something that needs to be explored, and we need to understand what it might be doing and how it impacts the brains of young people who are developing, I think is, is ultimately what I'm getting at, particularly when there isn't an awareness campaign like you see for something like gambling. But these things take time and take research. And actually, one thing I was thinking around this is, have there been any studies looking at the sort of neurological pathways, you know, when they plug people into the machine with all the nodes on their heads, and what is it they study arousal or or something like that arousal's kind of this 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 catchall term for a bunch of of changes and you could say like hey that those changes happen when you're when you're gambling and, and you'd be right but they probably also happen when you're eating a chocolate bar as well right mm. so like so like whether this is something specific and to do with gambling is unclear or whether it's exciting and we're just measuring that people are enjoying or or getting excited about something it's really hard to determine from these physio measures, yeah. uh, which is why you need to run like a bunch of really rigorous big studies with loads of participants that try and tease out all the different changes that might occur. And those are expensive and they take more than one or two researchers and they take months and months and months to run. Yeah, yeah. So again, you come back to this problem that like the bodies that should be funding and commissioning this research just aren't doing it. So like the whole evidence base is being built up by about 10 people. So you don't get the stuff done that you need to get done. And that's especially true when it comes to proper neuro stuff, mm. right? Where you're where you're putting people in a scanner and you're looking at specific regions of the brain 
to light up or, or to be activated in some way that you have specific prior hypotheses about. The killer thing about these is cash, right? So like putting someone through through most rigorous scanners like costs you a bunch of money like it costs enormous amounts per participant and in order to get enough people through the experiment to know that you haven't got a false negative Mm. like you see nothing but maybe that's because you only scanned like 10 people to get enough people through the door so that is massively time consuming and massively expensive. Mm. So again, it, it, like kind of all these issues circle back to one thing, which is that the really good research, the really expensive stuff just isn't being funded. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's take a break on that and we'll be back to talk preview packs and plenty more after the break. A quick reminder in this break, the podcast will continue over the summer, slightly different schedule potentially and maybe more ad hoc than previously. It all depends on what happens, but you will see a slight difference, certainly, and already have done in terms of the content that will be coming, but it means we're able to do things like the loot box special, episodes looking back at FIFA 21 forward to FIFA 22, including all the latest FIFA 22 news and advice, as well as new supporter for information podcasts, bringing you exclusive and often misunderstood foot fundamentals, Well, that will be coming up across the summer, and I'm very much looking forward to it. You can subscribe, of course, if you'd like that delivered directly via podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And of course, if you don't already, then do support the pod if you would like more podcast content over this summer. Double the amount of pod content, and you'll be keeping the podcast going. You can do that over at bit.ly slash more pod. So that's bit.ly slash more pod. And if you're a supporter listening to this and you don't have the personal RSS feed link pasted into your podcast feed, I'd strongly recommend doing that. It works with pretty much all the podcast providing apps out there and means that the way you receive the podcast as a supporter is exactly the same as it would be for the main feed. You just need to follow the instructions over at bit.ly slash more pod feed. That's bit.ly slash more pod feed if you haven't done so already. Well, thank you very much to all those supporters and to you listeners too. Let's get back into the pod. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today, because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Welcome back. So I'm still here with Dr. David Zendel, and we're going to be talking about preview packs. The preview packs that have been introduced over the last couple of weeks are, in my view, very likely to be in next year's game. They rarely test something like this without it being something they will implement in some way. And considering the landscape around loot boxes, as we've been discussing, it's quite likely in FIFA 22, this is the only way to buy loot boxes. The point is that you can see what you're going to get before you commit to a purchase with either coins or FIFA points. And that theoretically removes this random element from that purchase. There is a time limit, so you can only preview one pack of that type every 24 hours or so. And that does introduce the need to purchase to preview the next, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It's not actually a completely novel idea, is it, David? And it's something that you have seen before. But what are your thoughts on the motivations behind adding something like this? So EA have had like kind of a bad time in terms of reputation management when it comes to monetization in their games. 
And I think one way to interpret the move towards this mechanism is like maybe this could be the start of something slightly better and slightly more friendly. Maybe this is one tendril of a rethink of how they run their virtual economies, right? Maybe they think the amount of hate we've been getting is not sustainable. Maybe they think we need to start appearing more responsible or perhaps even being more responsible with how people spend money on our games. So I think I think there's a read here that's to do with responsible innovation. I think there's also a different retail, which is to do with fiscal sustainability, right? Mm. We know that the loot box landscape is incredibly fragile at the moment. Like you see both like kind of private legal cases, Mm. class actions, uh, that sort of say like under our current ways of regulating gambling and other products, you are doing something wrong. So we see that kind of case. And we also see big, heavy regulatory movements, which are kind of saying, like, we're going to implement a procedure that changes how we regulate everything. So you might be okay under our current regulations, but maybe we're going to move it so now you're under gambling. Mm. Like, we see these big processes and these small, faster processes happening across the world. If I'm depending on, like, you know, have about hundreds of millions of dollars, EA is depending on for their, for their player pack revenue... I probably want to start to think of a way of making that revenue more robust and definitely sustainable. And I want to make sure that regardless of what gambling legislation or gambling legal cases occur across the world, I'm still okay in terms of that revenue. Mm. And I think you can very much interpret preview packs as kind of this defensive monetization strategy thing, as well as a potentially more responsible monetization strategy thing. If you think about how people are currently talking about loot boxes, a lot of the time you're using definitions that people like me have said and written down, which are usually based on the way loot boxes are implemented at the moment that we're writing our papers. Mm. When I think about how I define loot boxes in scholarly publications that are then used in regulatory processes, I generally focus on the idea that the loot box is something which you can spend money on and then you get something out to the other side of that after spending the money that is of an uncertain value. That's that's how I define it. Mm. And it's very clear that that applies to player packs. And industry advocates exist to lobby governments, right? Mm. So like they'll turn up and they'll do what's right for the company or the body that they represent. And so there's this really strong line back before we defined them like that, that you don't know what a loot box is, so you can't regulate it. What are you going to be doing next? Regulating treasure chests in dungeons? Those look a bit like loot boxes, don't they? So so it was incumbent on the policymaking community and on the academic community to say what we thought loot boxes were. Mm. And now what is going to happen again is another kind of gray area in terms of whether things are loot boxes or not. Because like under the way that we've defined it back then, is a preview pack a loot box? Because you're putting in money, but you actually know exactly what you're getting. Mm. They've just shown you what you're getting. So how can we claim that you're getting something randomized or something of uncertain value at the other end? And the cannier members of the regulatory slash academic slash policymaking community might say, aha, but you don't understand. You don't understand. They're not basing this on the chance of what you get in that one, you're basically on the chance of what you get in the next one. Mm. You don't know what that is, but, you, but you're hoping that your next one will have something really good. Well, yeah, not only that, but from a research perspective, I guess that does change things. It's very similar, but it's also very different in terms of the apparent risk. At least you'd think so. 
from a legislation perspective, as you said. So does that research need to be rerun or in some way changed? And then, yeah, is it always going to be a case of being behind how it's being tweaked? And it makes me think as a gaming community, perhaps we need to come together and think, can we fund some kind of research ourselves? Because actually this isn't really happening quick enough. There aren't enough parties interested in funding it. And there's a lot of shifting and changing going on, which makes it very hard to legislate, right? And it will in this case. It's going to be super hard. It's um, So I think in terms of regulatory processes, you could say, actually, as an avoidance tactic, this might be really smart. Yeah. And I suppose we should say, though, despite all of that, this is a step you'd think in the right direction. How big a step, we don't know. But there is more transparency here, certainly. And it is something that we've seen in other games like Fortnite's non-Battle Royale mode, for example. Right. So I think in other products, you've seen the idea of increased transparency of loot box contents being implemented as part of this random reward mechanism. A really good example is Fortnite Save the World, like like you mentioned, where they had X-ray llamas, where you can sort of see what's inside your llama, um, which is sort of a loot box equivalent in that in that mode. Uh, another example is like this very geographically specific X-ray cases in CSGO, right? Where a very similar try before you buy type mechanic is being was trialed hmm. for that game. So it's not it's not an innovation in that sense. What's really interesting is what has happened in the past with those mechanics in other games. So there was a class action suit against epic which was to do with loot boxes and it's a really weird case because a epic settled like epic did not fight it to the bitter end which was really because interesting because they were removing them anyway probably right so probably because they're yeah that's so, what i think i think yeah. my my personal view on this is that epic basically epic's been very vocal about what they think of loot boxes and the morality of loot boxes in a way that that is different to ea um, and Epic basically wanted to get themselves out of the loot box market as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And if that costs you a settlement, then that costs you a settlement. And also in terms of cost for that settlement, I believe that cost was entirely paid in uh, virtual currency, which Epic controls anyway. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's not like they're losing billions of dollars. Yeah. But what was really interesting about the settlement was that it didn't incorporate, I believe, X-ray llamas. Mm. So like you got this transparency mechanic that's analogous and that's not part of this legal case. Yeah. Now, if I'm at EA and I'm thinking maybe this is a way of limiting my risk in this domain, that looks like a pretty good signpost that maybe I can limit my risk here. Mm, and then going back to the mechanic itself, Tom T was asking, do you think this will actually have a positive impact on those who are being negatively affected by a problematic relationship with loot boxes or prevent people from building up that problematic relationship? I think it's all down to implementation details. Like, I definitely think that there are ways of doing this that could. It's whether your specific implementation does that or if you're basically replicating a mechanism in which rather than staking something of value on the outcome of your loot box opening, you're instead staking something of value on the outcome of your next loot box opening. Mm. If you had the data, you could see whether that was going on, right? Like, because you could see when people quit. Do they stop opening when there's nothing good 
then they stop buying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of conclusion we came to when discussing this on the pod previously. And I think the interesting thing about it is, of course, that while it may stop some bigger spenders from spending, perhaps because they see the not good pack before they commit to purchase. But what it does do is it means that people will be going to preview these packs because there is a chance that whether they're buying with coins or FIFA points, those packs are actually going to boost their coin total because there's a player in there that is worth more than the pack. Or, of course, you can spend FIFA points and actually get pretty good value on that real money spend. But either way, you've got pretty much everyone every day checking yeah. the store and where you buy packs. Yeah, you're right, actually. Does it refresh every 24 hours? Am I, th- am I right? Yeah, I think- yeah, that is exactly right, yeah. Yeah, that's really clever, actually. Yeah, I think, of course, we don't know necessarily whether that will have a positive impact on those with a more problematic relationship with loot boxes. But it does feel like a healthier model to try and diversify where those purchases are coming from and spread it a bit and also give people the opportunity to pay real money for a pack which has a good player in it because you could put FIFA points on your account and only ever open a pack where you were going to get something of decent value. You just have to wait for the right previews to come along or you use coins. And actually when you use coins, you're taking coins away from the ecosystem. Those coins are essentially discarded and taken out of the market. So it acts as a coin sink, which, you know, it, it tends to be a good positive thing to have in the game. So Yeah, that's cool. You need sinks, yeah. Well, yeah, and we discussed all this impact on the game type chat with Andy AJ3, Airjapes, uh, with Nate for Accountant, on the market impacts people i'm sure the listeners will be aware of if they haven't heard those episodes do go check them out very insightful and so david what are your thoughts on that particular element the impact on the game i mean you know a lot about gaming ecosystems and monetization everything you just said was really fascinating to me and i think it highlights how nuanced they must be in these virtual economy design decisions I would be shocked if they hadn't gone over this a million times about what they predict will occur, what they're anticipating will occur, what they hope they will occur, and the margins of acceptance to what they hope will occur. So it's a really interesting thing because it's it's like so these virtual economies are often chaotic systems where a small change in initial starting conditions could lead to massive effects elsewhere within the within the economy. Mm. All the things that you said sound so plausible. I reckon EA are going to be they're going to have like one hell of a team monitoring this. Like if it works, it's something that they're going to have to be incredibly careful about because it could have a huge negative impact. It could have a positive impact, but I think it's very interesting that they've done it at this point in the cycle towards the end when actually they're probably going to see an increase in spend just because some of those packs are going to be very much worth people buying. They'll see that they are. Whereas previously they would probably just not bothered at all. And that actually combined with it being, fresh and exciting means they'll probably increase spend over this period and actually likely the big wigs at EA will think oh this is really good let's let's get it in the game so it'll be interesting to see um, whether that plays out like that and uh, I do think it's very likely that we see it in FIFA 22 but we shall see um final point then I remember last time you were on and it was something that a lot of people asked at the time and we got another question about it in fact another couple of questions about it also around saying I understand there's a link between problem gambling and watching gambling. And is there any research to suggest this would be the case 
for loot boxes. Yes, is the answer. Yeah. Uh, again, because there's only like a half dozen people in the world investigating this stuff, unfortunately, um, there aren't any studies on it except for one that I've run. So like, yeah, I yeah, did yeah. the, I got, I got a, a sample that was really good because I, I stratified it to, to, I quote a sample that, sorry, to represent the UK. So, you know, it's got the right number of uh, people who are aged 30 to 40 who are female to, you know, replicate the balance of, key demographic features that are present within the United Kingdom. Uh, and we sort of saw that, yeah, like a fair chunk of people are watching these videos and they tend to be more likely to have gambling problems than people who are not watching them. Mm. Again, though, then it comes to causality because like running running a study like that on a few thousand people costs me maybe five grand, maybe 10 grand. That's cheap. <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. almost nothing in terms of the funding university sucked down. What research councils and the people who are supposed to be funding research that helps people out should do now is commission the really big studies because we don't really care about correlation as much as we care about precedence and causality. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, they're, they're linked. But like, it could just be because people who are really into gambling pick up FIFA and are like, oh my god, I love packs. I love pack opening, and I'm going to watch a bunch of pack opening videos. Mm. Right? That's that's one plausible pathway that explains that correlation. Uh, and unless governments and research councils get serious about funding research into causality, yeah, yeah, we could just be having the same conversation in two years' time. One thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a way to crowdsource the data that we need. So what we basically need is information that goes across time about your spending on gambling and your spending on stuff in game Mm. and actually people hold a lot of that data themselves right if you go through your your inbox you'll have a load of receipts from like uh wherever you're gambling and also a bunch of receipts from when you're buying uh, points and things Mm. like that um, so we're trying to crowdsource away like an app that sort of monitors, you know, those like health trackers yeah. that people started using during the pandemic. We're trying to we're trying to build an app that will track how much you're spending, present it back to you, and then give you little quizzes about well-being to see if it really does affect your well-being. Yeah, and you were saying to me before, this is something you have funding for. It's something that will come. And I'm sure people who are listening to this are thinking, oh, I'd be interested in getting involved in assisting with this research. Things so it's something that affects the gaming community in varying ways and of course with the developments around preview packs and things like that it's even more important that we keep across it and are able to support where we can with data etc so great if people can get involved with that if they would like to and of course the best way of keeping across that would probably be following you david i would imagine on twitter Uh, I guess my Twitter is just my name, David Zendel. Nice. And whenever I write a new paper, I, I tweet about that. So, like, if you want to see what we're working on, <laughs> like, feel free <laughs> no, to follow no. me. I'm sure people will. And uh, thank you very much for coming on for your insight. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in, to those supporters for making all the podcasts possible, but particularly these summer specials. And, of course, a big thanks to those Icon supporters. Dave B, DJ FIFA player, Coach Vass, Hugh J., Thomas, Alan G, Alistair, Martin M, Jordan, Matt L, Chris W, David S, Liam B, Reese A, Harry P, Sam B, Adam G, Neil P, Jake G, Robbie S, Jake S, Zach O, Tom B, Stephen F, Eric T, Christopher R, Jonathan P, Elliot M, Lee A, Paul, Johan P, Dominic, Rob P, Michael, Kraus, Adam A, Sam P, 
David C, Brian S, Sila P, Mikael L, Nishant, Dougie, Anthony R, Jeff B, Stephen M, Roger D, at Pace of a Tortoise, Stephen C, Andrew C, Dan W, Pobius, Sporkum, Bronco, Matt H, and Savage P. Plus a special thanks to Luke M, Dave B, Nick V, Hugh J, Tom M, Darren W, and Pato Foot for advice and production assistance. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Before I leave you though, just one more thing to add. FIFA is a bit like life really. It has its many ups and its many downs. And if you are having a few more downs than ups in real life in these more difficult times, then please don't feel that you're alone or need to struggle on without taking action. If you go to thecalmzone.net, there's loads of resources, advice and support, or even just a chat available to anyone who needs it. If it sounds like it could help you, then head over to thecalmzone.net. And for now, I'll catch you next time. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today, because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Sports Social Podcast Network.